Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSB Magazine. You're listening to a new The Hacker Factory podcast with hacker maker Philip Wiley. You're about to discover what the role of a professional hacker entails, the different specializations it holds, and what it takes to learn and become one. Enjoy the conversation as Philip and guests unveil the secrets of professional hacking, a mysterious, intriguing, and often misunderstood occupation. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Hacker Factory Podcast. I'm your host, Philip Wiley, and today I have Gene Fay from ThreadX joining me. Uh, welcome to the show, Gene. Hey, thank you. We're excited. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you on. And just kind of some of our talks a, a while back, it's uh, really great to have you on as a guest because I like your mission of trying to help others get started out in the industry, and that's pretty much the goal of this podcast. Sure. So why don't you, yeah, so why don't you start out with uh, kind of giving giving us your origin story, kind of how you got started and what you're doing these days. Sure, absolutely. So uh, uh, throughout my career, uh, now almost 30 years, I've been focused on B2B software and uh, I've been fortunate about halfway through my career to start in cybersecurity. So uh, now I've been a part of four uh, early stage uh, cybersecurity companies, and uh, they've all had uh, so far some successful outcomes. And uh, currently, I'm the CEO of ThreadX, which is an API and application security company. Uh, we've been around for a little while. I've been with the company now for uh, three years and uh, really excited about what we're doing in terms of helping companies to protect APIs and applications. Uh, and now we just recently launched some runtime capabilities. So uh, we really continue to advance and innovate with the with the company, which is why I love uh, early stage companies, because you can be really nimble. Yeah, it's kind of fun. You're not so much siloed, even like being a startup employee. Uh, that's one of my past couple jobs have been startups. And it's nice to be able to have some flexibility and not the boring uh, nine to five that you experience in you know, the Fortune 500 companies. Yeah, it's, it, I'd describe it as different. You know, people think that uh, when you go with an early stage company that it's uh, riskier. And in some aspects, you can call it riskier. Uh, but I, I think about it as the risk is more known. And, and that is having worked at uh, two large companies, a company called EMC, which is uh, now part of Dell, or uh, another uh, time we sold a company to IBM. I worked for IBM for a couple of years, and I think people think that, oh, well, big companies are safe. And I describe it the difference. Um, do you want to know the risk or don't you want to know the risk? At a big company, you don't really understand the risk. And what I mean by that is if there's going to be a layoff, there's basically you know, a bunch of shared docs that they people start populating names. And then suddenly one day uh, you get a, a Zoom link or, a, or an in-person meeting and uh, suddenly the company's downsizing five or 10% and, and you didn't know anything about it. With a small company, most small companies, you, you are continuously, uh, you're shared the, the financials. Uh, so you'll know if the company's not doing well. So you won't be surprised uh, if you or your peers go through a downsizing because at least you'll understand and have seen the risk coming and, and can either deal with it or move somewhere else. So 
So, but I, I do enjoy the, the small company because, because you get to know all the people and you really get to build real relationships with them. And, and for me, you know, as, as you said, I, I really enjoy helping people with their careers and in a small company like us, I, I get to know all of our employees and their aspirations and try to help them achieve those. That's good. It's, it's nice to be able to build those, those bonds and have that teamwork. You know, we're in such an age, especially, you know, during the pandemic and kind of towards the end of the pandemic, everyone was working remotely. So uh, having some sense of teamwork is just makes the job a lot more enjoyable than just showing up and not really knowing people. Yeah, I agree. And uh, as you said, the pandemic has made it uh, very, very different. I was, I was talking with a young gentleman yesterday who's looking for a job actually over the weekend, uh, who's looking for a job uh, working for a large company, wants to get into an early stage company non-technical position. And I asked him to dry, describe me the ideal job. And he said, first thing he said was, uh, I, I only want to go to the office two days a week or three days a week. I forget what the number was. And I, I said, that that's the first criteria. I'm like, how about a great environment, uh, a great executive team, a really cool product or service? Like, but you know, that, that, that's how things have changed. He's only been in the the workforce two or three years. So, you know, that's uh, different priorities now. So it, it make me chuckle. Yeah. Yeah. Different, definitely interesting how many opportunities to work remote. Cause whenever I got started out uh, in my career as a pen tester, my first five years was spent in consulting. So the only time I was not working from home was when I was on a client site performing sure. a pen test. So right. you kind of get, you kind of get spoiled to that flexibility, but then sometimes it's good just to be able to get into an office because even you see some of these startups that is mostly remote periodically, they know the importance of getting together and, and building the team. Yeah. And it, you know, it's really kind of important, I think, especially for people new to the industry to kind of get some exposure to an office, learn how to build those work ethics because I've worked with people before that their very first pen testing job was 100% remote. Mm. And for me, I was fortunate enough to grow up my career in uh, working in places where you went to the office, you had a certain time to show up, you had these meetings and responsibilities, you were working more closely with your team and your team leads to develop those skills. And sometimes when you don't have that guidance, it's kind of, you kind of miss out. And I think it's a little more difficult to learn sometimes that way. Yeah. I, I think the, you know, those types of life skills are, are, uh, incredible equally building your network of friends uh at, at the you know co-workers slash friends uh, i'm sure in pen testing like any career there's going to be situations where you simply don't know what to do and uh if you don't have those personal relationships where you know i can call you and say hey have you ever seen this type of setup or how would you potentially overcome this type of situation to to make this a great pen test uh, when you're when you're remote, you you feel pretty lonely, and uh, you know, and equally, you know, five years, ten years, fifteen years from now, um, the, those people that you're working with today, who you didn't build great relationships with, I, I think they're not going to be able to look out for you the same way as you know, you and I. If we worked in an office for three years, even if we were both remote, I was traveling for sales, you were traveling for pen test, like we would get together for a beer, we'd grab lunch. And, and that type of bonding is is nearly impossible to replicate in a remote perspective. And again, 15 years from now, when I'm looking for a job or you're looking for a job or I'm looking for a great pen tester or you're looking for a great executive, whatever, like those are the things that are missed. And, you know, I know I sound like the old man with no shoes walking to school uphill both ways. 
um, and <laughs> lamenting about uh, what it used to be like. But I just think people at a minimum need to think about ways to build those connections with their coworkers, not only to be successful in the current job, but to, to help that, their friends and themselves be successful in their future jobs. Yeah, that's that's uh, some great points there, because a lot of the students that I've taught before in the past and people I've mentored, one of the biggest things I tell them, biggest tips is to to network. You know, I tell them, you know, if you're going through school, the classes that you're in in college or whatever boot camps or courses you're taking, make sure to connect with those people because that yeah. can be your next job down the road. Absolutely. I mean, my career at EMC, uh, which, as I mentioned, is now part of Dell, I was there twice, five and a half years. I left and ended up back through an acquisition. And my roommate from college uh, introduced me to his uh, then brother-in-law, who's uh, since become also a good friend of mine. Uh, and to your point, it was like that that simple connection dramatically changed the trajectory of my success, success or whatever we'll call successful career, uh, because simply just m my roommate making that introduction, me getting to know this gentleman who had been with the company for a long time, uh, helped me multiple times and, and, and now has been a, you know, a friend, a mentor. And uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's so, so you don't know who the people are sitting around you uh, and who they're connected with and how they can help uh, you and equally, you know, the, the reverse, always be looking for ways to help others. And if you do that, others will always look for ways to help you. Um, so, so think about it that way as well. Yeah. It's kind of, kind of interesting a while back, back in, in January, I was going speaking to the, the classes teach at Dallas colleges to teach pen testing there. And it was kind of interesting. One of the points I really tried to, to uh, emphasize to the students is the importance of networking and it was kind of funny because I was actually kind of looking for a job at the time. And uh, I went out to my car after giving the guest lecture and checked LinkedIn. And I had a message from Ira Winkler asking me if I was happy where I was at, that if I wasn't, he'd be happy to try to get me in over at Psy. So that ended up in a, a job. And so it's just right. kind of funny that I was telling those students about it. And then I got out <laughs> to check my messages and there was yeah. an opportunity. Yeah. Well, I, I think it's all uh, underlying the uh, the Ben Ben Franklin principle. If you've read anything about Ben Franklin, he, he you know, not only a brilliant scientist and but he was also an unbelievable networker. And underlying all the principle was he was never started with uh, what's in it for me. Uh, it's what's in it for others, and how can I help others? And if you help others and continuous throughout your life, you're constantly helping others. Uh, when you're in need. There'll be uh, you know, hundreds of people looking to to return the favor, but don't do it for the favor. Do it for the joy yeah. of helping others. I, I totally agree. You've kind of ran into the same thing because once I put my turn my focus in 2018 to teaching and mentoring and helping others, you know, because I've been a pretty competitive person, always trying to to be the best I could when I sure. went places that uh, my bonus was based on billable hours then I only took vacation in the slow times because I always wanted to, and it wasn't so much about the money, the bonus, it was hitting the goal and performing well. And I kind of learned, you know, as you get older, it's kind of harder, especially in a role as a pen tester to keep the crazy hours that you do and trying to be the best you could be and all this. And I just kind of finally decided to play to my strengths because I'm a good listener. I like to help people. And when I changed that focus, the goal wasn't opportunities. It wasn't to help build my brand. It wasn't to get job opportunities, you know, more money opportunities and all this. It wasn't for that as to help people. 
but one of the positive side effects was it makes it a lot easier to get jobs in yeah. demand more. And yeah. uh, it's been, been a great experience. Yeah. That's wonderful. It really funny how it works out. And so, yeah, one of the things too, that I think that uh, people miss out on is, is soft skills. And I'm sure from your perspective, being in management and, and uh, with your background, you understand that. But I think a lot of times people trying to break in the industry or even practitioners don't understand the soft skills. Could you kind of share your opinions on, on how they could help improve yeah. and, and, and grow those skills that they need? Absolutely. I think there, there's first, you got to understand who you are and understand what your strengths are and what your weaknesses are. So if you are uh, an introvert, um, you have to accept that as who you are. But then you can work on the the, the uh, engagement uh, capabilities of how you communicate with others. Uh, I think about it, and I'll use a different industry, but if you look at uh, people that go to work for the big four um, auditing firms, um, they're all very smart, right? The, the, the inclusion rate of that uh, type of job, is it's a very difficult job to get. Uh, but the difference between the people that make uh, managing director and, and then go on to partner and the people that don't are not the people that are the best accountants. Uh, actually, you know, they, they, the people that become managing directors and partners, my understanding is it's the people that can sell, that can interact, that can get in front of clients and really build relationships and work them through really difficult times and understand how to give them bad news. And I think that's the same thing with our industry. Uh, interviewing, and I know you interview a lot of CISOs as well, uh, the number one thing that CISOs tell me about the success of their job is their ability to communicate to the board, to the executive team, to the employees, to the customers. So if you are a hardcore introvert, um, you just have to understand that you'll, if you want to rise to that level, and it's okay if you don't because people have massive careers um, being individual contributors or, or doing sole proprietorships where they don't have to engage with a lot of uh, people that they don't want to engage with. But if you do desire to get to that next level, it is going over and, and getting out of your comfort zone and working on those skills and understanding that it's never going to be um, your 100% comfort zone, but you can learn those types of skills. So I think that the ability to communicate, the ability to write, um, the ability to empathize, Again, even if you don't have a high level of empathy in who you are, understanding that people do have feelings and that when you say something, uh, how you say it is equally as important as what you say. Uh, those are the types of learned skills that I think ultimately culminate uh, in a more fulfilling life. And for those that are driven by careers, uh, a more fulfilling career. Very, very good advice there. And so uh, one of the things I was just kind of thinking with your background you know, you, you've had to, you know, pitch your product or, you know, when you've been in kind of more of the corporate world, trying to get your budget approved, yeah. uh, you know, there's some sales techniques and stuff that are helpful yeah. to practitioners. So uh, how would you kind of, what would you ex recommend for like someone is trying to break into the industry or practitioners yeah. to be able to learn how to sell themselves yeah. or, you know, yeah, I think the, uh, the the number one thing is uh, it's the what's in it for them uh, mentality. So when, when we're interviewing, um, we tend to think about what's in it for us. Like, I want to get this job because it pays more than I currently make. And that additional money is going to help me live a, you know, a happier life or a, 
more financially stable life or whatever. But so, so that's sometimes the frame of reference that people go in and they talk a lot about me and I and all the things that, that uh, I could bring to the company. Uh, but equally, especially when you're interviewing with managers is think about what's in it for them. Like, you know, and a perfectly good question is like, hey, why is this role open and how is it going to make your life better when you fill it? And, and interviewing uh, you know, in an interview process, asking that question, you can learn like, well, hey, this position has been unfilled for six months and uh, all the work that this person is, is going to do is currently on the manager's plate. So then you pivot your, you know, your response to or your, your engagement around like, hey, well, here, here's how I think I can make your life easier. If I come in here, hey, I'm going to work, you know, I'm going to work my tail off. I'm going to, you know, I'm going gonna, gonna to put in the hours and, and I've got the skills and, hey, I'm going to offload this. And what are the other things that maybe are not getting done that I'll be able to do? Like turning it around to that as opposed to saying, hey, well, you know, I've got this certification. You know, I went to this university. I did this project. Like you got to intersperse some of that. But but putting yourself out and thinking about it in terms of what's in it for them uh, I think is really important. And, and, and also thinking about who you're interviewing with. Um, HR people are going to ask you different questions than the manager is going to or a peer is going to ask you when you go through or uh, the manager's boss. So I always say when you're going to an interview, uh, whether virtual or in person, and most uh, tend to be uh, at least initially uh, virtual, is asking the person that's setting this up, like, who are the people I'm meeting with? What are their titles? Um, so that you can look them up on LinkedIn, know something about them, see if they have a podcast. Do they have a Twitter account that you can start to follow? Uh, so again, you're thinking about them. You're not thinking about yourself. So you know, a, a, a funny one, and again, I'll pick on this young gentleman that I talked to on a Saturday. It was totally apparent to me in the first couple minutes, of that, first five minutes talking with him, that he'd done no research on me. Now, I, I didn't take it as a, an ego hurt. Like I'm, I'm not somebody famous. I'm just a dude uh, looking to help people. Uh, but it was like, he didn't know, he didn't know anything about where I worked. Um, didn't know my background. You know, never mind. He didn't know I, they do a podcast where all I do is talk about how to help people get jobs in cybersecurity, right? <laughs> like, um, so doing the homework um, is, I think, a big, big part of it. And it helps you in that interview process to sell yourself because I'm, like, if somebody says to me, like, hey, I just noticed that ThreadX just did an announcement around RAP, Runtime Application API Security. Can you tell me more about that? That says to me, like, boom, hey, this candidate has done some work. And that work that took, that work took them two minutes. Like, they didn't have to do hours of work. Um, so I do ultimately think that if you are going to get um, uh, if you're going to get into that sales motion, and I know sales has that negative connotation, so so you know come up with a different term. But when you go into that where you've got to put yourself and convince somebody that you're the right person for that job, uh, you do need the, the, those soft skills and and that ability to ultimately uh, position yourself uh, differently. And again, I it's just it's close it out with. It's what's in it for them. Just keep thinking that. What's what's in it for them and how can I make their lives easier? How can I make their lives better? How can I make the company better? And you're going to vastly differentiate yourself, especially if you're a technical person, because people don't typically think that way. Yeah, and sometimes if you're just waiting for that 
right question to be asked for them to truly know what you're all about and get to know you is going to be difficult. I mean, for the listeners, when you're going in there, I mean, this is one of the things I've kind of picked up on in recent years is you go in there and show your value. I mean, uh, I was applying for a, a practice lead position with the pen test company. And one of the things I showed them was when I worked at this other company, I got more LinkedIn followers, more Twitter followers. Right. When I was at events, people would come to the booths. So I brought more brand yeah. awareness to the company and I used those selling points. It might've not been something they were directly going to ask, but this was something that would impact yeah. their business, help their sales. So I shared that. Absolutely. So right. Again, it's that what's in it for them, but you having a lot of Twitter followers, you having a following says to them, Hey, our brand uh, halos around your brand. So, so th- that's, what's in it for them. Absolutely. And so what are some other questions that that's good for candidates to ask? Because, I mean, it's really great that you mentioned looking at the the profile of the person, you know, kind of seeing what the company does, kind of going more educated, which is more yeah. impressive to hiring managers. So what are some other good questions that yeah. uh, interviewees can ask? Yeah, one that I love is like, hey, I saw on LinkedIn that you've been with the company uh, two and a half years. Uh, can you tell me about your journey here and what do you love about it? Or what are some of the things that that you think will change over the or the next couple of years. Uh, I think that's a great one because again, it shows, hey, this, this person did some research. They know how long I've been here as opposed to going, hey, how long have you been with the company? Now, when you ask that question to me, I go, well, you should already know that if you did a little research. But again, that's not the end of the world if you, you ask that question. But then it's like, well, you know, what do you like? What don't you like about it? Uh, another one, if you're going for smaller companies is how does the executive team work together? Because uh, that's you know, when you look at the criticality of success of small companies, uh, it really comes down to four four aspects. So if, for those of our listeners that are trying to you know, go for smaller companies, and it's uh, how much money is in the bank and how long is that money going to last? A perfectly legit question to ask. Um, what's the product market fit like? Tough to gauge. Everybody thinks they have product market fit, but you can ask how fast is the company growing? If it's less than 50%, they probably don't have market fit. If it's north of 100 to 150%, they probably have some level of product market fit. Uh, the board, and and it goes back to money, but you know you can judge. You can tell me a little bit about the board and, and the, who's funding it. And the fourth is the management team. Many great companies have been railroaded by you know incompetent leadership teams. So ask them, hey, what's, what's the executive team like? You know, how well do they work together? Um, you know, and it, so I think that's another one. And the last one I like is tell me about your culture. You know, you, you're going to uh, go to work for a company and understanding what it's like to work there uh, is, is as best you can. Better to find that in the interview process because it can be, hey, this is uh, an Israeli backed um, venture and uh, we work six days a week. We, we, we start early. Everybody's coding till 10 or 11 o'clock at night. And that's the norm here. Okay, well, that that's great if that's what you're into. Uh, but if you're not, better to figure that out and take yourself out of the interview process than to join and go, oh, these guys, these guys and gals are crazy. Right? I'm not, I don't want to work like this. And I pick on Israelis not because I, I actually really admire the, the work ethic of many of the cyber companies that are being created out of Israel. Uh, and, and they do have an unbelievable, tenacious uh, work environment, uh, which I would uh, absolutely enjoy. Uh, but it's not for everybody. So so understanding a little bit of the culture as best you can in the interview process, I think, is is a big thing. Uh, 
uh, with ThreadX, uh, the number one thing that I hear from people, I, 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 I tend to try to interview everybody, but it doesn't always happen. But I do talk with everybody as they start. And when I ask them why they joined, it's because uh, they heard a consistent, uh, very favorable uh, way that people talked about our culture, uh, the camaraderie, the, the teamwork, we call it esprit de corps, uh, you know, the, the tenants that we have. And then when I talk with uh, these same people over the next couple of months, they go, hey, you know what? You're, the, the culture that you guys talked about is very much the culture that, 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 we, that, we, that we have. And I really enjoy that. So again, as, a, as a interview, somebody interviewing for a job, I think it's great to ask the question about what the culture's like and then assess, is that culture gonna vibe with what you're looking for? Yeah, I think that's a great way to put it because I think you go on an interview and say, what are the work hours like? You don't want to come off as yeah. looking late, looking lazy. <laughs> exactly. Right. <laughs> Again, what days do I have to come to the office? I had a buddy that um, he very early in our careers, he was interviewing for a job and he, he asked the guy multiple times, like about the health benefits in the very first interview. And the guy goes, do you get sick a lot? Like what's with <laughs> <laughs> like, what's with the question about the health benefit? Like, that's a great question. You should ask that. But that's just like you're getting to an offer, not the opening question, or because you're nervous and you can't think of a question. I mean, we now have ChatGBT. You know, what what are the ten best questions to ask somebody when interviewing for a pen tester job? I bet you three or four of those questions are probably great, and probably even more of them. Right. So, like, mm -hmm. let's let's use our assets. Right. You don't have to invent those. Even if you don't have anybody, you can, you know, let's, let's use some AI to help uh, people interview better, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, and kind of one of the things I think we would definitely like to cover and don't want to miss opportunity for like any of the people that are management or uh, listening or business owners that are listening to the podcast. What are your recommendations for people trying to retain employees, yeah. keeping that good employee retention? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one that's evolved quite a bit because we had a... a 10 near 15 year run of uh, an unbelievable economy and people moving from job to job to job pretty consistently. So, so we as leaders and managers had to get really good at uh, retention and engagement. Um, the market slightly changed um, to, to now to the, to the company's favor because it's, it's a little more difficult to find jobs. Now it's in cybersecurity. We, we use the number, you know, 3.4 million open positions. So I don't think we can get lackadaisical around that. Uh, but ultimately, it's, you know, being genuine. And I know that's uh, what, you know, what the heck does that mean? It's like figuring out who you are as an executive and, and not being afraid to share that with the rest of the company uh, helps for everybody to know that you're just a freaking human. Uh, you don't have all the answers, but you, you do have good uh, instincts and direction. I think it is a, a big piece of it. Um, doing the engagement um, surveys on a quarterly basis and then looking at that feedback and thinking about how you can improve the culture. Uh, I, I always do you know, remind people that we are trying to build the best work culture that people can ever be a part of, but equally we're not designing a club med. Uh, like it, it is work, um, th there's gonna be some pain uh, there, there's going to be some long hours. So, but I think being that level of candor, sometimes people are like, well, I want to make this place where everybody loves to work, you know, uh, uh, loves to be a part of it. I'm like, yeah, they have to love to work here because if they're not going to be a productive member <laughs> of our team and they're just going to enjoy the perks of, uh, 
you know, free, free, uh, you know, free, free hot dogs, whatever, uh, probably missing the mark. Um, but I think that's a piece of it. I, I, I put it as a, I, bar, I borrowed this from Michael Tiffany, who's the, who was the co-founder of human security. It's like, I want this to be the best place that people can come and do the best work of their lives. And again, with an emphasis on work, because that I think sets the right expectation. Uh, and I think that's, that's what we have to do as executives is, is allow people to the, the uh, enough freedom, uh, enough camaraderie with their peers um, to ultimately be able to produce uh, work that they're going to be proud of. I always say I want people to be proud of uh, ThreadX and not just tell their, their nieces and nephews, but tell their grandnieces and nephews, like tell, you know, generations from now when you're sitting in a rocking chair, like you, you can tell everybody like, hey, my time at ThreadX was really special to me. Uh, because the company that the company culture allowed me to do the best work of my life. Very good advice. So we're getting down towards the end of the episode. Is there anything that you'd like to share before we close out? Yeah, I just uh, I finally say like, you know, key to my success has been ultimately writing down my goals. And again, I know that's kind of hacky and maybe not in vogue, but it's a simple process of, you know, setting down what are the two, three, five things you want to accomplish this year and then keeping them with you. I, I keep that little sticky note that I write every December uh, with me and, and I continuously look at it. So one of my goals is to help 30 people find jobs every year. Uh, and I've upped that number just about every year. So I think that that, you know, people want to start a, a journey in cybersecurity or in any career. I uh, can really start with sitting down by yourself with a blank sheet of paper and writing out what are the three, four or five things you want to accomplish. And then figuring out from that on a continuous basis when it's dark and lonely, taking that piece of paper out and reminding yourself, hey, here's the things you're trying to accomplish. I think it's a great way to start your journey and then continue your journey and continue success uh, over the next you know, end number of decades that you're going to be working. Yeah, great advice. I like that. And, and, and it's nice, too, that you mentioned three to five things. I think sometimes people can get carried away. So right. it seems like setting reasonable goals. Right. Keep it simple. Absolutely. Keep it simple. But I, I really appreciate all you're doing with your podcast uh, and uh, glad, glad I was able to be a part of it. And uh, I know you're trying to give back just like me to an industry that's been very good to us. Yeah. And I appreciate what you're doing for the community as well. I always like to meet like-minded individuals as trying to help because it's, it can be a difficult industry to break into, especially when you understand things. And when you can help other people out, it makes it, makes it a lot easier for them. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think for us as individuals, it's very fulfilling to help others. I agree. And in this world, I think we, this day and time, people need to, to see that people actually care, you know? For sure. Well, thanks. I appreciate it. Great. Thank you for the opportunity. Thanks everyone for joining and I hope you enjoyed this episode. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Hacker Factory podcast with Philip Wiley. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share itsbmagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.